When the sun starts to rise and I open my eyes, you are good, so good. In the heat of the day, with each stone that I lay, you are good, so good. With every breath I take in, I'll tell you I'm grateful again. When the moon rises high before each kiss, good night, you are good. When the rose starts to turn around each bend of blood, you are good, so good. And when somebody's hand holds me up, helps me stand, you are so good. With every breath I take in, I'll tell you I'm grateful again. Cause it's more than enough just to know I am loved and you are good. So how can I Thank you, Miss Kim. That was beautiful. Open your Bibles up to Ruth this morning. To the book of Ruth. We'll be in chapter 2. 
continuing where we've been at for the last couple of weeks. Ruth chapter 2. Title of the sermon this morning would be Exercising Faith in the Lord. Exercising Faith in the Lord. We were in Ruth chapter 1 last Sunday. If you tuned in online or here, we talked about... Um, how will you return? If you remember, we looked at verses 6 through 22. In chapter 1, we talked about Naomi, how she returned bitter, and, and how Ruth, or excuse me, Orpah, how she returned back home to Moab. And then we got how Ruth returned with Naomi to Bethlehem. And so today, looking in Ruth chapter 2, we're only going to cover the first three verses, verses 1, 2, and 3. But we're going to look at... Ruth exercising faith in the Lord here in the first three verses now that they're back in uh, the promised land. We're looking at they're back in Bethlehem here in Judah. And so chapter 2 of Ruth, verse 1 says, There was a relative of Naomi's husband, a man of great wealth of the family of Elimelech. His name was Boaz. We've got Boaz on the scene now. He will become... He'll. He will become known more as we go along as the Ken's Redeemer. We'll talk about that more in sermons to come. But today, we won't, we won't get into that today. He is just, uh, his name is Boaz. He's of the family of Elimelech. But the fact that he is of the family of Elimelech will mean something down the road. Verse 2 says, So Ruth the Moabitess said to Naomi, Please let me go to the field and glean fields of grain after him in whose sight... I may find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. And then verse 3 says, Then she left and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the family of Elimelech. Let us go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Father God, uh, so thankful, Lord, to be in your house this morning. And God, as we look at these verses today and I don't think Lord that the ladies knew where I was going to be preaching from and I sure didn't know what they were going to be singing but God I couldn't help but sit there thinking um, Lord about how good you are and God how you do have our lives in your hands God and that's what we're going to look at today in your word is how you have our lives in your hands if we'll simply exercise faith in you trust you and allow you to take complete control of everything we have. Lord, you see where we're at. You know what we're going through. You know what we need before we even ask. Lord, if we just trust you. And God, this morning, I just want to pray that you would just guide us through your word. And for those of us that may be sitting here today, God, struggling with exercising faith. Not just faith in anything, but God, faith in you. I pray that you would strengthen our faith today. And Lord, we would find it easier and we'd be more comfortable as we get ready to leave today, Lord, to place everything in your hands and allow you to have full control. God, bless the reading of your word today, I pray, Lord. And I pray that, God, it would accomplish what you'd have it to accomplish. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, this morning, uh, we're just going to dive right into it here. Uh, just got two quick points covering three verses. Shouldn't take us a real long time. But... We just covered the first three verses today because we didn't want to get too far into Scripture because I didn't think we had time to really go into it. And I kind of got it broken down in my mind how I want to cover it, unless God changes this as we're studying through it. But 
The first point that we'll look at comes out of verse 2. We're going to jump down into verse 2 for point 1, and that is the faith of Ruth. We're going to see Ruth exercising faith. It says, again, just to read it to you so you'll remember what we just read. It says, so Ruth the Moabitess said to Naomi, please let me go to the field and glean heads of grain after him in whose sight I may find favor. And she said to her, go my daughter. So to understand what's going on here, the whole gleaning process, uh, whenever the children of Israel reaped a harvest, whenever harvest time came about, they were to consider the poor and the widows, and Ruth was both of those things. And, uh, and on top of that, she was an alien. She wasn't even, she was a Moabite. She was from the land of Moab. So she was even, uh, could be considered an alien. But the law told that when they were reaping, that they were to leave certain parts of the field for those that were poor to come in and glean behind the ones who were harvesting the crop there. Matter of fact, Leviticus 19.9 says it this way. He says, when you reap the harvest, this is what God's telling his people, says, when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not wholly reap the corners of the field, nor shall you gather the gleanings of your harvest. And then Deuteronomy 24, 19 gives us a little bit more detail, saying that when you reap your harvest in your field and forget a sheaf in the field, you shall not go back and get it. It shall be for the stranger the fatherless, and the widow, that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. So when they went out there to, to pick or to harvest the grain in the field there, you can imagine a square or rectangle type field. And, you know, as, as, you, were, as you were harvesting, you would leave those corners. You wouldn't go get those. You would leave those for the poor and the widows and the fatherless. And, and if they were to, uh, as they're going through, if they were to drop something, they were not to go back and get it. That was for the people to come in behind them. And they were, they were by law, they could go through and gather everything that they could possibly gather that got left behind. Was, it was good, good wheat or whatever was being planted. <coughs> Excuse me. But the, the harvesters were not to pick it clean. They were to leave it. That was God's welfare plan, so to speak, to make sure that everyone was taken care of, that they could go out and work and they could get something to take care of them and their family. And Ruth was taking advantage of this law by going out to the field. I like the quote that I read this week as I was studying in Warren Wiersbe's commentary, and he said this. He said, Naomi was bitter against God, but Ruth was willing for God to have his way in her life. So God began his gracious work with Ruth. Isn't that something? Here we got Ruth the Moabitess who's just become a believer in God, a follower of God, just right here at the end of chapter 1. Naomi should have been the one setting the example, but we get the idea that her bitterness is still probably consuming her somewhat. Ruth, listen, Ruth just says, hey, we got to live. You know, I, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to exercise this law here that, that God has put into place. And I couldn't help but think this week as I was reading, when I read that quote and I was looking at Scripture and I thought, how many times do we miss being used by God because of something that's going on in our lives? Maybe, maybe a bitter attitude or maybe a, a bitter heart or maybe we're just angry at something. Maybe, maybe some sin in our lives. And I got news for you. I like, like, I like what Warren Wisby said. So God began His gracious work with Ruth. Here's what I believe in all my heart. I believe God wants to work in all of us. I, got, I believe God wants to do a work in us. 
I believe he wants to use us to accomplish his work. I believe he wants to use Waynesville. But here's what I'll tell you. I believe if we don't get in step with God and line up with God, God will say, okay, I'll use somebody else then. I'll bless somebody else. We don't have to be used. And that's what we got to understand. To be used by God is an awesome privilege. He doesn't need us. The fact that he wants us to be a part of what he's doing messes me up some days because I go, really? Lord, you could use anybody and you choose to use me? That's overwhelming to me. So if we'll sit there sometimes and we'll get attitudes or we'll get sideways because, well, praise God, we just didn't do it in the church the way I wanted it to be done or, or we got mad because we, we chose a different color to paint the walls and what you like. I don't know if anybody, I just had to throw that out there, okay? I've known churches that's gotten fistfights over shrubbery outside, okay? I'm not making that up. That exists, all right? Sad as, sad as it is, I've seen churches split over goofy stuff. Why? Because people get sideways because they didn't get their way. I don't care if I get my way or not. I want God to have His way. That's what I want. And as long as God gets His way in, the, in, the, in, in His house, we're going to be fine. But it ain't about me. Sometimes I had to back up and go, you know what? That's not what I would have chose, Meh, but it's okay. It's small potatoes, all right? Small potatoes. And that is one thing that I'm learning in my Christian walk. Maybe you're right there with me trying to learn it as well. I'm still working on it. Been working on it for about 30 years. I have not gotten it down yet, but I'm still working on it. And that is don't sweat the small stuff. There are things that when I get home to heaven, I'm going to say, God, that didn't. And he's going to say, that didn't matter. You got all caught up in the goofy stuff. It doesn't matter. We could paint the walls pink, and if we still have 30 people get saved and baptized next year, praise God, pink walls and all. Here we go, you know. I mean, I don't want pink walls, but the walls are that's immaterial. The color of the carpet, immaterial. Color of the pews, immaterial. It doesn't matter. What matters is, is God being glorified. And so we got to get, get our focus back on Him and not what we want. If we get bitter attitudes or we get sideways because things aren't going the way we want to, God will move beyond you and He'll use somebody else. I want God to use me. But notice this, Ruth wasn't even raised with this belief system. He wasn't, she wasn't raised uh, there in Bethlehem, Judah. She, she wasn't raised in the promised land. She was raised in the land of Moab. She didn't even know what these laws were. Honestly, probably Naomi's probably the one that told her about it. But now she's the one who's exercising faith in God and putting her, her faith in this belief system that God has handed down to his people. Bottom line is this. Now I want you to get this. When Ruth became a believer in God, she adopted his ways, his thoughts, his ways of doing things, and she began to follow those. Let that sink in for a second. Let that sink in. When Ruth became a follower, she adopted God's ways and said, if that's the way God says do it, that's the way I want to do it. Now you say, well, Brother Vance, what's so significant about that? How many times do we become believers in Jesus Christ and yet we still want to do it our way? God, I want to go to heaven, but I don't want you to have control of my life. God, God I, I want the fire insurance, more or less. I, I, don't want to, I don't want to die and go to hell, but I can't let you be Lord of my life. God, I want the salvation, but Lord, I can't give you everything. Listen, if you're going to be a Christian today, God wants it all. And if he doesn't have it all, then you're in a bad place right now. You're in a bad place. God, you can't just be a Christian and then say, this life is mine. No, when you got saved, you give your life to God. It's his life now. It's not yours anymore. You don't have the freedom and the right to do whatever you want to. 
It doesn't work that way. You belong to Him. You are supposed to be living your life for Him. Not living in sin, not doing what you want to do, not doing what makes you happy. I and mean, honestly, this is the biggest misconception biblically that you, there's a lot of them, but this is one of the major ones. Well, don't God want me to be happy? Doesn't God want me to be happy? Honestly, I will, I will I'll give you $100 if you can find in God's Word where it says that God wants you to be happy. You won't find it. It's not in there. God's not concerned about your happiness. What He is concerned about is your life glorifying and honoring Him. And He says if you'll do so, then He'll give you joy that will surpass your thoughts and understanding. In other words, it will confuse you, blow your mind that you can have that much joy. Because, see, you can have joy in a bad situation. Your bad situation doesn't always make you happy. But there are people that are Christians today saying, but doesn't God want me to be happy? No, He's not concerned about your happiness. He wants you to glorify Him with your life. And when you glorify Him with your life, you're going to have joy. I would be willing to say that you go over and read in the book of Acts, there were a lot of times that the, the Christians, John um, and Peter, found themselves beaten and in prison. Paul and Silas found themselves in prison. Beaten because they preached the gospel. I bet if you were to stick a microphone on them fa their face and say, Paul, does this make you happy? He'd say, no, I don't want to be in prison. But yet, what do we find them doing at midnight? Singing praises to God. Why? Because they had joy in their heart. Because why? They were in God's will. We can have joy in our hearts for being in, the, in, in fellowship and right step with God and being obedient with Him. But it does not mean that our, our situation makes us happy. Happiness and joy, to me, honestly, are two different things. I have not been happy about things before. I've just been like, man, I, you know what? I wouldn't have chose this. But in the process of praying through those circumstances and studying my Bible, I feel joy of knowing that God is saying what Miss Kim sung about. God, God assuring me, that Vance, I know your heart's broken. I know you're in a situation you don't want to be in, but I got you. I got you. I'm not even sure if that's correct grammar. I got you. But it works. Amen. It, it works. Uh, he's saying, I've got you in my hands. And you know what? Knowing that God says, I have you in my hands, I'm in complete control of this situation, that gives me joy. My circumstances don't always change and the, and the consequences don't, don't drift away and, and, and whatever. But knowing that God is still in control, I'm good with that. And so it's not about our happiness. It's about God being glorified. So when we got saved... We are supposed to live our lives for Him, not what makes us happy. We get too hung up on that. Matter of fact, James, and I quote this verse a lot, but I'll quote it to you one more time today. James 2.20 says this. We're talking about exercising faith. James 2.20 says, But do you not know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? That word dead there. And the Greek means useless. What he's saying is if you're not exercising faith in the Lord, the faith that you say you have, in other words, if you say you have salvation, but you're not exercising your faith in God, not, not, when he says it's dead, what he's saying is your faith is useless. Your salvation is useless because you say you have something, but you're not living it out in your life. To say we have salvation in Jesus Christ today means that we need to be living our lives for Him. We need to be exercising faith. And here's what I want you to note about Ruth this morning. She didn't even know where she was going. 
The Bible just tells us here in verse 2 that she says, Please let me go to the field and glean heads of grain after him in whose sight... She didn't even know who him was. In whom sight I may find favor. So in other words, she didn't know where the field she was going to be at. She didn't know who was going to own the field. She just says, Mother-in-law, let me go out and find a field that I can see if I can't glean us some grain to bring back for us to eat. She was just walking out putting all her faith in God, didn't know where she was going to go. And she hoped that she would find favor in someone's sight. But can I tell you what? This is really awesome to me. She was hoping to find favor in somebody's sight. But when she put her faith and trust in God and started living for Him, she had already found favor in somebody's sight. And that was God's. See, what's really awesome here, and I want you to, you want to get this as you look at this, this whole story here, the whole book of Ruth, and that is this. Ruth is going to be the great-grandmother of King David, okay? That's pretty cool to me. So here's what I'm saying. Even though Naomi and Elimelech found themselves in a place that they should not have been in chapter 1, the very beginning of it, we must sometimes find ourselves the same way in a place that we shouldn't be. We make mistakes all the time, and we drop the ball, so to speak, and we fail God miserably. But when we will turn back to God like we're supposed to, He can take our mistakes... And he can still use them for our good and his glory. Although they, weren't, they didn't need to be in the land of Moab, God says, you know what? This is not where you need to be at, but I'm still going to work it to where I get glorified through all of it. And I'm still going to work something good out of all of this. And it's going to be through a Moabite uh, lady named Ruth. And she's going to be a part of the lineage of Jesus. It's going to bring the Messiah into the world. Isn't that awesome? Man, that blows my mind every time I read that. And I've read this a hundred times probably. But notice here. She hoped that she would find favor in someone's sight. Now, this morning you may be asking, what's the, what's the big deal in all that? Well, Ruth had put all of her old ways behind her. I mean, she put everything behind her. She started trying to live for the Lord. She had left her land she had left her family. She sounds a lot like Abraham, to be honest with you, if you think about it. But she left her land. She left her family. She left her false gods. You go, well, praise the Lord, she left her false gods. Well, that's true, good. But still, she left all that she knew. She left everything that she grew up with. She left everything that she was comfortable with, her home, everything. She walked off and left it. Why? To follow the Lord. To be what God would have her to be. All for the glory of God. Romans 12, 2 tells us this. Paul wrote there, he says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. This morning, let me ask you a question. Are, do we, looking, are we looking like the world or do we look like Jesus? Do we look like the world or look like Jesus? That's a question we all need to ask ourselves from time to time. Are we conforming or are we being transformed? Which one? See, to be transformed means that we're leaving those things behind. We're, we're turning into something. And, and it's being transformed means we're beginning to look more and more like Christ all the time. All the time. We're putting those old ways behind us. We're walking away from those sins we used to dabble in. We're walking away from things that are not good for us. We're putting all of that behind us, and we're striving to be more and more like Jesus. See, one day, we're going to stand in God's presence. Whether it be through death or the rapture, we're going to stand in the presence of God one day. And listen, my salvation and, and my transformation and my sanctification process, it will be complete 
when I stand in the presence of the Lord. So I'm shooting for that day. I'm, I'm living my life to be more and more like Christ every day that I live. And that's what we should all be doing. So the question is this morning, is what God telling you to give up in order for you to be obedient? What's something in your life right now that you need to let go of? Maybe there's something that you're, that's in your life that is, is hindering you from being a Christian. I remember uh, quite a while ago now, and I don't know why I thought about this all of a sudden. I haven't thought about it in, in years, but I remember one time I was pastoring a church, and, and I got a phone call. Uh, from a man's brother, and he said, uh, where are you at? I said, I'm, I'm actually here at the moment. Why, what do you need? He says, I wanted to see if you could come by uh, out at the house. Um, my brother's here, and, and, um, and, and he's drunk. I don't know if you come talk to him. I thought, well, I don't know how that's going to go, you know, if he's drunk. But I said, I'll come. And I got there, and here's what was going on. Is this guy was an alcoholic. He, he, he told me, he says, I'm an alcoholic. He said, I, I've been battling this my whole life. He said, and I know I'm not where I need to be at. He said, I know I need to be saved. He said, and, and, and this guy attended church, but he knew he wasn't saved. And he knew, and that sin, and the reason he couldn't, he hadn't come to the Lord yet is because of that sin. He couldn't get around it. He said, God won't take me like I am. I said, God will take you just like you are. You know, just come to God. But as we sat there and talked and... Um, I remember that's one of the scariest moments I've ever had in my life, probably, as I was sitting there talking to this guy. But I remember, you know, I said, I'm not, I, I don't have a problem with things like this. So I don't know what you're going through. I don't know. I said, I don't know what to tell you. I, I don't, I said, I can get you help. I can find somebody. I know somebody that can sit and talk with you. I said, I'm here because I was asked to be here. But I don't know what you're going through. And he says, well, Brother Vance, I, I don't know how to beat this. I said, and I remember I made this comment to him, and I defended myself before I said it. I said, before I say what I'm about to say, I don't know where you're at. I said, but I know a God who does know where you're at. And I know a God who's bigger than the problem you got right now. And I remember he took his beer bottle and he slammed it down on the heart. No wonder it hadn't have broke. And uh, he said, you don't know. I said, I, I said, I didn't. I don't know. And I got really scared. I thought, this guy's going to beat me up right here. You know, this is, I'm, I'm going down. This is how it's all going to end for me. He was older. I think I could have took him. <laughs> you know, he was intoxicated. I had that to my, my advantage, I think. He didn't feel pain, but I still think I could have maneuvered, outmaneuvered him. But the point is, is he and I sat and talked for a little while longer after that. And I said, give it to God. He's bigger than your problem. I said, that doesn't mean it's not going to be, it's not going to be hard it's going to be hard. I said, but he still can help you get through this. The awesome thing is he called me three weeks later. He said, where are you at? I said, and he didn't call me the first time, but he did the second time. I told him, I said, I'm up at the church. He said, could you come by my house? I said, yes. And I, he didn't sound like he'd been drinking, so I was kind of excited to go see. But I got there, and I remember he sat in his backyard there, and I got to lead him to the Lord that day. That was one of the most awesome days of my life uh, to lead him to the Lord and, uh, and he's since passed away and gone on to be with, to, with the Lord in glory but, but the point is, is that day and I talked to him he says you know I took your words to heart that your God which is my God now he said is bigger than anything that I'm battling I said he is he said it's been hard I said it's going to be hard you know I said every day is going to be a battle for you 
I said, but you serve a God now who's bigger than that battle. He can defeat whatever's in your life. I said all that to say this, that you may be in the same boat. You may have something you're struggling with or you're battling. Listen, to say that this thing, I can't get around it, is to say that God is not big enough to handle that. God is big enough to handle that. God can help you with whatever problem you've got, but you've got to give it to Him. You can't say, God, help me, and then drag it back home with you. You've got to give it to God. You're going to get up tomorrow, and you may be tempted with whatever it is you're being tempted with. It's going to be hard. Give it to God. Say, God, I need your help today. But I promise you, the more time you put behind you with that problem, the easier it will get. It will get easier, but you've got to give it to God. It's not going to be easy. And I, I'm, I'm going to say something right here before I go into point two. I've got time. Y'all all right with that? I want to say something. I hesitate to say this before you guys vote me in. Um, if you're going to vote me in, I say that like you're going to. Um, you may not. I may lose some votes for what I'm about to say, okay? It's like a politician up here, but I say it in love. With the coronavirus thing right now, it is scary, Okay? I hesitated whether to say this this morning. I've wrestled all the morning, but I feel like I'm supposed to say this. I don't know who needs to hear it. There are some of you guys that probably don't need to be here because of your health, but I praise God that you are. I praise God that you're here. And there are people at home that are scared to come, and if you have health issues, you don't need to be here. I have wrestled with this for, for four months now as to what is right and what is wrong. I've been around and around and around and around with this in my brain, and here's what I'll say. There are some at home that probably don't need to be here because of health issues, and I sure wouldn't want you to get sick. But, you know, I got to thinking this morning, we could pull those curtains all the way to the wall. We got tables in the back. If you'd like to sit at those tables back there in social distance and come, I'm, I'm talking to the people online because you guys are here. But if you'd like to come and be a part of what we got going on here at church, we got tables back there that you can isolate yourself. You can come in the side doors. I promise you, nobody will breathe on you or speak to you if you don't want them to. And I know there are people at home going, but Brother Vance, I may get sick. Here's what I say, and I say in love. If you can go to work every day, and you can go to Walmart, and you can do all those other things, shame on you for not being in God's house. Shame on you. And that's where my heart's been at lately. And you say, Brother Vance, I don't want to die. Listen, I drive down that road every day, five feet between me and the car coming, coming past me. I put, listen, I do things. I eat fast food nearly every day. That's taking, that's taking a risk. I have no idea what's in that. It's eventually going to kill me. I don't know what the guy back there behind the thing's done. If you've ever... Eating, listen, I've done this on days that I hunt. If you've ever eaten one of those little twirly sausage things from a convenience store, that's like Russian roulette. Okay, I'm just, I'm being honest with you. You don't know how long that thing's been twirling now, do you? You don't know. You just go up there and slap some mustard on it you eat and go back to the woods. And what I'm seeing is there's a lot of things in life that can hurt you. There's a lot of things in life that can take your life away from you. God has my life, again, as you sung this morning, God has my life in his hands. And if he sees fit that I should die with the coronavirus because I subjected myself to sickness by being in God's house, then this is how I want to go. This is how I want to go. This would be my choice. I just believe it all my heart, though, that we need to exercise some faith this morning. We put our faith in everything else in the world. We'll go to doctors and we'll take medicines that we can't. Listen, they'll give us a prescription. You can't even read it. Can you? 
No. You go up there and you assume the pharmacist can. You hope he can. He gives you a bottle. It says on there, take it three times a day. You do. It's a name you can't pronounce. You'll Google it and you'll realize the side effects are probably going to kill you. But you'll take it anyway. So what I'm saying is if we can put faith in all of those things, why can't we put faith in God? Why can't we put faith in God? If I offended you at home, I said all that in love. I did. God really has convicted my heart with that this week, that sometimes you just got to trust the Lord. You just got to trust the Lord. There were people in the book of Acts that were dying every day. Listen, the New Testament church, why? Because they were professing Jesus Christ as their Savior, and they were being martyred. Read church history. When Nero was in charge, he was martyring Christians. Check this out. He was killing Christians, putting them on staves, dipping them in tar, and lining his driveway, basically, his garden area, and lighting them on fire so that they would be illuminated for his garden parties. Read church history. It's in there. There are Christians right now, and this is all free, okay? There are Christians right now in other parts of the world. It's just not advertised. Why? It's not popular. But there are Christians right now in other parts of the world that are dying every day. Why? Because they have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And you know what they're doing? And this is the truth. Read it. Get some Christian magazines. It's in there. There are people that as they're walking to church are having rocks thrown at them by other religions. There are people that when they put their faith and trust in Jesus and they know when they go down in that water to be baptized that they're going to be alienated by their families. And we won't come to church because we're scared we may get sick. I promise you we won't breathe on you and you don't come because I've guilted you. But let that sink in this morning that God is in control. He's bigger than a disease. And again, when my time is up, I will go. I think we need to be smart. I don't think we need to go play in the highway. Uh, I don't think God would protect us from that. But there are things like this that I believe God will protect us from if we'll just exercise faith. And if you get sick, stay home. If you know somebody gets sick, don't, don't come spread your germs. But I'll quit beating that dead horse. I just think we're, we're copping out. There may come a day when we don't get to worship anymore. We don't need to waste the time we have. Point number two, the field of Boaz. And I said all that in love. I say that to people at home. I, I, I love you. But notice the field of Boaz. Notice what it says in verse 1. We're going to look at verse 1 and 3. It said, There was a relative of Naomi's husband, a man of great wealth of the family of Elimelech. His name was Boaz. Then in verse 3 it says, Then she left and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the family of Elimelech. I love that. The Bible says that, she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz. Do you think it was a happenstance? A coincidence? Man, when it comes to God's work, I don't believe in coincidences. I don't believe in happenstances. I don't believe in any of that. Uh, God was orchestrating. He was working these things out. I believe that since Ruth had embraced God and His ways, I believe she loved God. God was working on her behalf. This is called faith. Notice what, notice what, what Ruth did. She went and she found a field 
who she didn't even know who it was. And she started picking there. But it happened to be the field that belonged to Boaz. I want you to note something this morning. In Mark 16, 20, I want you to know that God is always working with us. When we're in, we're in step with God and we're being obedient to His will, God is always working with us. Mark 16, 20 says this, And they went out and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word through and accompanying signs. Philippians 2, 12 through 13. I'm going to flip there quickly. Philippians 2, verses 12 and 13 says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to His will, both to will and to do for His good pleasure. So God is working with us. God is working in us. And then Romans 8, 28 tells us that God is always working for us. Paul wrote, he says, And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to His purpose. When Ruth set out that morning to glean in the fields, she was looking for someone that would show her grace. Grace, as you hear me say all the time, is favor bestowed upon someone who doesn't deserve it. She didn't deserve it. And yet she was hunting someone, looking for someone who may have a field that may let her come out there and glean and begin to gather. She didn't know anyone. No one knew her. And so she was looking for favor. God was orchestrating the whole time. But here's what I want you to get. God didn't just bring Ruth to Boaz's field, but he brought Boaz to the particular field that Ruth was in. Isn't that, isn't that cool? So Ruth goes out and finds herself in Boaz's field, who happens to be a kinsman of Elimelech, her father-in-law. And then in verse 4, I didn't read these verses, but I'm going to read 4 and 5 to you now. It says, Now behold... Boaz came from Bethlehem and said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. And then verse 5, Boaz said to his servant who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? So, in honest, we get the idea that Boaz was a wealthy man. So he probably owned several fields. Odds are he didn't go to every field every day. He might have went and oversaw this crew today and what was going on there. Tomorrow he may be over at this field. But this particular day, Ruth goes out. She's hunting a field. She, I don't know if, if the field of Boaz was the closest to the house. I don't know if it was the most convenient. I don't know what made her pick that house or that field except that God wanted her there. She finds herself out there. It just so happens, again, that Boaz shows up to that particular field where Ruth is at. God orchestrated all of that. Again, Wiersbe said this. He says, when we commit our lives to the Lord, what happens to us happens by way of appointment and not by accident. Isn't that awesome that God is in, is in control of all things? And I'm almost done. But here's what I want you to know, that Boaz, he knew who she was. Verse 11 which we'll cover more in the next couple of weeks. Verse 11 of chapter 2 says, And Boaz answered and said to her, 
It has been fully reported to me all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband and how you have left your father and your mother and the land of your birth and have now come to the people whom you did not know before. So Boaz had inquired as to who this lady was. He found out some stuff. And, and he knew who she was. So and getting ready to close this morning, and, and it may feel like we're just chomping off the sermon right here, but we don't have time to go any further. And there's a lot of good stuff to come. So I pray that you come back. And, and uh, those at home, that I hope I didn't make you mad, and you'll tune in next week as well. But the thing is, I want us to note here, and that is this, that when we begin to exercise faith in the Lord, the Lord is in control. Understand? God is in control of all things. No matter where you're at in your life right now, no matter what's going on in your life, exercise faith and trust God. Even, and here's how God works. When God works in our lives, we often don't see how it's going to turn out. We, we can't see the end of the day. We can't see the next day. We can't see the, uh, the, the following week. But our God can. It may be financial troubles. It may be sickness. It may be whatever. I don't know, but it may be whatever's going on in your life. And right now we could look and we could, we could even apply it to our country. We could look at our country. We could look at politics. We can look at all of these things. And we look and go, I don't know how that's going to turn out. I don't, but I know that God does. And I'm going to exercise my faith in Him. And I'm just going to continue to pray. And I'm going to continue to, to spend time with Him. And I'm just going to exercise faith in Him. My, listen, my, my faith is not in my country. My faith is not in my president. I, I, I voted for Trump. I'll vote for him again. I, I'm not ashamed of that. I, I'm proud to be an American. But my faith is in my God. Amen. That's where my faith is at. And I'm going to trust him that even when America may get off track a little bit, even when our president might get off track a little bit, even when the, the Speaker of the House might get off track a little bit, all of these things, listen, my faith is in my God, and that's where I'm going to find my comfort. That's where I'm going to find my strength. And I'm going to exercise faith in Him of saying, God, everything looks crazy right now, but I know you're still God. I know you're still in control. I know you have not stopped being in control. You will always be in control. I'm going to exercise my faith in you. So today, no matter what it is that you're battling, no matter what it is that you're going through, whatever your circumstances are, and sometimes circumstances can seem kind of bleak. Circumstances can look dark and you go, I don't see how this is going to turn out. In a good way, it looks like it's going to just be bad. Trust God. Trust God. Honestly, in your darkest moments, in your darkest moments is when God's doing the biggest work. Just because you can't see Him working doesn't mean that He's not working. Okay? Doesn't mean that He's not working. I don't know how you guys are going to vote two weeks or a week from now, and that's between you and God. And I'm sure not trying to get you to vote to call me as the pastor, but, but I, I, I do want to share this. You know, I was just standing here and thinking, in one of my darkest moments is what led me here. Um, you know, the day that I've shared this with you guys, but I'll share it quickly, but the day that I got the message from Brother Don that you guys were looking for a pastor, he gave me about four other churches as well that needed pastors. And I, and I prayed about all of them, and I put a resume in at three of them. The fourth one I didn't. I didn't feel led to do that. But I remember in my darkest day in Montana when I just felt like the church was just not being what it needed to be, and I wasn't sure if I needed to be there or not anymore. And I, I was really disheartened about that. It was at that day that I sat down and prayed and said, God, I, 
I need some guidance. Lord, I need some direction. I don't know what to do. I'm 2,400 miles from home, and I, I'm, I'm, at a, I'm at a place that I don't feel like we're accomplishing what we need to accomplish. I'm not sure if I'm supposed to be here or not, but I don't know what to do. I remember, I mean, I had no more prayed that prayer when Brother Don reached out to me and said, how are you doing? Well, I was at that moment where I could tell him the truth or a lie, you know? And the truth was, I'm not doing so good today. I'm not sure what God's doing in my life. I'm not sure I'm supposed to be here anymore. Uh, I, I just, I don't support where we're going. I feel like we need to be doing more. We need to be reaching the lost, and we're not doing that. That's what I want to be a part of. And I felt like God began to close those doors. And I, I shared that with him. He said, well, Brother Vance, if you're looking at coming back home, I know four churches right now that need pastors. Pray about putting in a resume. I did. I prayed for three or four days over that. And I finally sat back and said, who are they? And you guys happened to be one of them. And I remember sending three resumes out. I've been in conversation with all three of those at some point off and on. But God led me here. And even if it was just for a short amount of time, even, even if y'all don't vote me in and I was just to be your interim for a little while, you have no idea what a blessing you've been to me in the last three months of my life. You have no idea going on four months how much you've been a blessing to my family. And so what I'm trying to say is in a dark moment in my life where I couldn't see what in the world God was doing and I cried out to him, God says, I'll show you what I'm doing. And I never would have guessed all the way back in February that I'd be standing here in September. I never would have dreamed that in a, in a thousand years. But God did a work in my life. He did a work in my family's life. We needed encouragement. You guys have given us that. You guys have loved on us and made us feel, well, you know, if you've ever been there and you just needed somebody just to love on you, you know exactly what I'm saying. And you guys have done that. And I thank you for that. So however next Sunday goes, you guys have already been a blessing to us. And so I sound like I'm quitting. That's the way it's, but the point I'm trying to make is this, without rambling anymore, and I've already rambled, is you may find yourself in the same situation this morning where you're sitting there going, I'm at my wit's end. I don't know where to go. I don't know where to turn. I don't know what to do. Um, I don't feel like God's listening. I don't feel like he's hearing me. Oh, he hears you, and he's listening. And he might be about to do a big work in your life. Hang on. Hang on. Keep praying. Keep seeking. And when it's right and the time is right, he'll show up. But you don't give up on God, okay? Just because you don't see him working doesn't mean he's not working. In the life of Naomi and Ruth, when they started heading home, they probably felt like, I don't know where we're going. I don't know what we're going to do. I don't know how this is going to work out. God was with them there, but he was already working back in Bethlehem too. So wherever you're at this morning, whatever's going on in your life, give it to God. Trust Him. He is in control. He's never stopped being in control. Our circumstances overpower that sometimes. It makes it seem really dark. It's at that moment you need to pray the hardest you've ever prayed in your life. Don't give up. Let's pray this morning. Father God, we are so thankful for who you are. God, we're so thankful that we have seen you work in our lives. And God, I don't know how to convey in the words sometimes, Lord, what I feel in my heart. But Lord, I, I know 
that you can do big works in people's lives. You've done them in mine. And I know you want to continue to do that. I know you want to do it in the lives of those here at the church. And I don't know where anybody's at today. I don't know where they're at with you. I don't know what they're struggling with. I don't know what they're, I don't know. But you do. You know God. And I pray that they would be reassured of that today, knowing that you know all things and that you are in control. You have not left them. You've not forsaken them. God, if they would just simply cry out to you today, and Lord, give it to you, you'll help them through this difficult time. God, my prayer today is that, Lord, that they would just, just seek you with everything that they have today. God, I pray this invitation will be used to bring you honor and glory, and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.